Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. As we open God's word, let's pray and ask him to open our hearts. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads. And as we open our Bibles, we ask you by the power of your spirit to open our hearts. We offer ourselves to you in prayer. We can do no more and we dare do no less for you are our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our only Lord. Amen. Amen. Our text today is Isaiah 55. Our title is The Invitation. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 54 are a celebration of the results of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the headwaters, the fountainhead. Isaiah 53 is the gusher. And Isaiah 54 and 55 flow from it because Isaiah 53 is the most brilliant explanation in the Old Testament of the cross work of Jesus Christ, what Jesus accomplished, the good thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And Isaiah 54 and 55 are the results of that, pure and simple. What Isaiah 54 says is the result of Jesus' work on the cross is that everybody here can sing as loud as they can in celebration of what someone else has done for them. And what Isaiah 55 says is that everybody here can enjoy without limit the feast of the best wine and the best food that someone else has paid for and laid out for them. Isaiah 53 is the victory. Isaiah 54 and 55 are the victory parade. Isaiah 53 is the liberation from sin and death. And Isaiah 54 and 55 are the celebration of that liberation. Last week, we saw in Isaiah 54 the picture of a barren woman who couldn't have children. And now she has so many kids that she's got to get a bigger house. And we saw the picture of a sad and lonely wife who was temporarily deserted, but who is now reunited with her husband in a bond of love that will last forever. And we saw a city that could have been besieged by a storm, but instead was made strong and even beautified with sapphires and gems in its foundations. Here in Isaiah 55, we see this picture of an invitation to a banquet where those without money can buy everything that they need. Isaiah 55 begins with an individual who is thirsty and hungry. And Isaiah 55 ends in verses 12 and 13 with the whole world being renewed. Isaiah 55, 12 and 13 ends with the thorn and the curse being removed from the entire universe. Isaiah 55, one begins with an individual person's hunger and thirst being removed and satisfied. Isaiah 55, the first word is the word of invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come on and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
Why do you, church, whenever God asks why, it's worth listening. God knows why. He asks you why, because you got to figure out why. Verse two, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Remember what Satan said? God doesn't want you to have the good food from that tree. See what God says? Listen to me and take everything. Verse three, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. The Holy One of Israel places his glory inside of his people so that the world can see the kind of God we have because of who we are. Verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This chapter is pure celebration and invitation. We can summarize it in kind of six words. The first word is invitation. We see that in verses one and two. Invitation, come and buy without money. Church, invitation is a common theme in the Bible. And so if you are a Christian, if you're a person whose heart is in tune with the Bible, then invitation should be a common theme in your life. You should be a warm and welcoming and inviting person. Invitation is a theme of the Bible and that makes us happy because invitation is a happy theme. This is the kind of text that we should enjoy. And this is the kind of text that should make us enjoyable people to be around. Jesus, that great fount of all love and grace and beauty, invited us to come to him and know him. And so we invite others the same way. God loves to say, hey, 
there is room in my family for you. There is a place at my table for you. So I'm just saying, people who are godly love to say, there's room in our household for you. There's room at our table for you. It's as simple as this question. When's the last time that you were talking to somebody who was lonely or needy and you simply said to them, you know, there's room in my life for another friend. I'll be your friend. When's the last time that you were talking to somebody who doesn't have a church and doesn't clearly believe as a Christian and you simply said to them, you know, there's room at my church for you. I'll drive you. We'll go out to lunch afterwards. Just come with me. This is the simplest, easiest thing to do. And it's one thing that when we do it, we are being like our Savior. God invites everybody all the time. You read the New Testament and you find me someone who is more welcoming and inviting than Jesus. You will not find that personage. The theme of invitation is a common theme in Scripture. One of my favorite Old Testament books, not surprisingly, is Isaiah, but a second one of my favorite Old Testament books is the book of Proverbs. Listen to this theme of invitation in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, the busiest intersection, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, turn in here and learn sense. Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Wisdom invites everyone to know noble and true and good things. In the next chapter, Proverbs 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. Hey, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed and leave your simple ways and live. The Bible is an invitation to leave your destructive ways and live. That's what it is. Isaiah 55 is one of the most beautiful invitations in all of the Bible. And I said that carefully. The only reason that I say Isaiah 55 is one of the most beautiful invitations in the Bible is because at least to my reading, the invitation that rivals Isaiah 55 is another invitation in Isaiah. If you turn back to Isaiah 26, I just want you to see this again because we preached through it. But I think Jimmy Carter was president when we preached on Isaiah 26. I can't remember exactly when that was. It was a little bit ago. It was a minute. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. This is, this, to me, this just wrestles with Isaiah 55 as the most beautiful text in the book. 25.6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. 
and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Oh, church, it doesn't just say that there will be no more tears. It says that there will be no more tears because the Lord himself will wipe them all away. Alec Matier says in his fine commentary on Isaiah, these verses prove that in Christ, ultimate reality is a banquet with no expense spared and every provision made and with nothing to mar our enjoyment of it for every grief and death and tear has been dried up. This invitation in Isaiah 55 is so important if I could speak this way, this invitation in Isaiah 55 seems so near to God's very heartbeat that the last uh, two and a half inches of the Bible, the end of the end of the last chapter of Revelation 22 is a quotation from Isaiah 55. The spirit and the bride say come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires come and take of the water of life without price. He's quoting from Isaiah 55, 1 in Revelation 22 and verse 17. You see the invitation, everyone, everyone. God offers everyone a place at the table. Everyone may come. And there is only one table. Everyone must come to Jesus. Therefore, the invitation of the gospel is as inclusive as all of humanity. And the invitation of the gospel is as exclusive as Jesus Christ and Christ alone. What's the qualification to come? Verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. The qualification is that you have to be thirsty. Oh, and there's also another qualification. You have to have no money, <laughs> right? Come to the waters and he who has no money, come by and eat. The thing that makes this invitation, I don't know, it seems like the thing that makes this invitation the most godlike is its utter one-way generosity. There's no kickback. There's no cost. There's no requirement. All you need to be is thirsty, and all you have to have is nothing. So we say that when it comes to the gospel, all you need is need. All you need is the Spirit's awakening that what you have spent money on is worthless, and what you have tried to stuff your soul with to satisfy you will never satisfy. The Lord's offer here in Isaiah is to buy what is free. I think it's beautiful that that's repeated twice. The end of verse one, come and buy. 
He, he who has no money, come by, he says in verse one. And then he says again in verse one, come by without money. And then he says in verse two, why are you spending your money on that which doesn't satisfy? It's repeated three times. So the point is being made emphatically. How do you buy something without money? One way to buy something without any money of your own is to use someone else's money to purchase it. The point's being made emphatically that <clears throat> this is something that is worth more money than you could ever have, and yet you can have it. How is it that you can have something without money? You can have something without your own money if the purchase price was paid by another. And the purchase price was paid by another. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's how you purchase without money. It's because the suffering servant purchased it with his blood. This is gospel grace. There's an amazing appeal even in verse 2 when God says, why are you spending your money on that which is not bread? Why are you laboring for what doesn't satisfy? And then God says, listen diligently to me and you can eat what is good. So there are at least two arguments there in verse 2. The first argument is, if you refuse this invitation, you are doing an incalculable wrong to yourself because you're wasting your life and you're wasting your money on that which will not satisfy. That's the first argument. If you refuse this invitation, you're doing something incalculably wrong and violent and wasteful to yourself. But the second argument is, uh, listen diligent to me and eat what is good, delight yourself in rich food. The second argument is, if you take this invitation, you're doing something incalculably wonderful for yourself. You're getting what's great, satisfying in all abundance. So the first word that summarizes this is invitation. And we spent the bulk of our time on that word. The rest will go quicker. The second word is promise, that God will satisfy every need. And he says that his steadfast satisfaction is tied, verse 3, to the everlasting covenant that he made with David. We can't take the time to go back there, but if you want to mark it down, mark down that going backwards, Isaiah is quoting from Psalm 89. Going backwards, Isaiah is quoting from Psalm 89. And we also don't have time to go there, but if you want to look at it, mark down that going forwards is Acts 13. Going forwards is Acts 13. Because when Paul is preaching in Antioch in Acts 13, he defines the work of Jesus as the fulfillment of the everlasting covenant that he made to David. And Paul, in Acts 13, quotes Isaiah 55 and Psalm 89, that it all leads to Jesus. God has always promised to satisfy every need, and the one who satisfies the needs is Jesus. Third, an important word, is the word command. The command to seek, to call, to forsake, and to return. Read verses 6 and 7 again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. What does he mean when he says seek the Lord? Well, to seek the Lord doesn't mean to go out and find something that got lost. To seek the Lord means that you are putting in the work to find what is there, to find what is there. And God is he who is there. He was there before you. He'll be there after you. He's always there. To seek the Lord is to be intentional about your relationship with God. To seek the Lord is to be intentional about your relationship with God. We tend to take our most important relationships for granted. Our parents, our spouse. We tend to take those most intimate relationships for granted. But perhaps those are the relationships that we should be seeking and investing in the most. Well, same with our relationship with the Lord. Be intentional about your relationship with the Lord. Cultivate intimacy with him. Make his kingdom the one you think about and what you organize your day around and make your decisions around. So, if we ended and we were just talking with each other and I asked you this question, it sounds like a church question, but it's actually a very straightforward question. Are you seeking the Lord? If you said yes, could I ask you another question? Prove it. How would I see that? How would I know that? If you don't know how to answer that question, you find someone here who's a little bit closer to God than you and ask them, what do you do to seek the Lord? And that mutual edification can help you. Seek him. Notice verse six, seek the Lord. And then it's qualified while he may be found. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? This is a place in Bible teaching where I'm able to tell you what you think that means, that's what it means. When he says, seek the Lord while he may be found, it means what you think that it means. It means you don't know how long you have. But you should know this, you have less time than you think you do. That's what it means. No one is uninvited. And the invitation lasts forever for no one. No one is uninvited. But the invitation will not last forever. Everyone is welcome. And the door is wide open. And there is no admission fee. You don't have to have a ticket. You don't have to have money. All you have to have is need. That's how wide open the door is. And a day is coming. Revelation says that the day is coming when the gate will be shut. And outside of heaven will be all those who by their, their unrepentant refusal to seek the Savior, they'll be in hell. We proclaim Jesus and we support the work of missions so that more and more followers of Christ will be made. And we do that today because today's the only day that we can do it. There's a time coming when we won't do that anymore. 
So you have this command to seek the Lord and you have it qualified only while he may be found. And then doesn't verse 7 describe repentance? And not only does verse 7 describe repentance, but I'm telling you, verse 7 describes repentance in a way that you should get yourself familiar with and maybe even memorize. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. When we seek the Lord... Remember I said a second ago, if I asked you, are you seeking the Lord? And you said, told me yes. I'd be like, well, how do you prove it? Well, this is how you prove it. When you seek the Lord, you repent of sin. If you are not repenting of sin, you are not seeking the Lord. That's exactly what this says. Don't make it more complicated than that. And don't, don't, don't spin yourself out of the self-examination that this requires. This describes repentance. When we seek the Lord, we willingly let go of sin. When we are protecting and refusing to repent of sin, we are going the opposite way of seeking the Lord. We're actually avoiding him. God calls us to seek him. A parent of a teenager hollers into the teenager's room because the door's shut. Are you working on your homework? Teenager says, Oh, yeah. And on the other side of the door, said teenager, it's like 75 minutes deep into a FIFA tournament on PlayStation, just getting what they want out of their team. When you say, yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah, I'm seeking the Lord. Well, are you or not? Notice what he says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The very Hebrew parallelism here, wicked and unrighteous way and thoughts, um, rescues us from a surface level behaviorism or moralism. Because not only do you have to forsake the way and the actions, you have to have your intentions and your thoughts and your vision of reality changed. This is genuine repentance. Of course you stop the activity, but you stop the, the heart idolatry and the pride and the avarice of attitude that motivated the activity in the first place. So yeah, the, the, the teenager would, would put down the PlayStation because he or she would actually begin to think, I don't want the consequences of not doing my homework. And I do want the consequences of a relationship with my parents where I'm not lying to them. And they begin to think differently about themselves and their relationships and their motivations. The mind, the heart, the desires, the goals. It's all encompassed in repentance. And don't sleep on the end of verse 7. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You have a, you have a calling and a job. It's to repent of your sin. But God, if I could put it this way respectfully, God has a calling and a job. And it is to forgive you 
for every single one of your sins and bury them in the deepest ocean. That's what he does. That's the kind of God that he is. And church, we should revel in that. We should revel in that. The people in this community who are the quickest to apologize and the quickest to reconcile with each other must be Christian people for we're the ones who are able to admit that we've sinned and we believe in a God who forgives us of our sin. Anytime we front and we refuse to reconcile, we're like, well, I'll apologize a little bit when they apologize 82 times. We're running away from the gospel. The grace of Jesus Christ the grace of God in forgiving us makes us people who lavishly forgive. It's so easy to live with people like that. It's so hard to live with people who, are, who have hardened themselves to God's grace. It is so easy to live with people who are melted every day in the presence of the fire of God's grace. And fourth, we see that God's thoughts and ways are high above ours. And fifth, we see that God's powerful word is always working. Just one comment about verses eight and nine, you know, my thoughts, your thoughts. Put it in context, put it in context. What did the end of verse seven say? God will abundantly pardon. And then he says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. I think in context, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 is a reaction to the instinctive human recoil that refuses to believe in God's grace. We're like, bad people get spanked. Evil people go to hell. Works, earning. Works, earning. And we, we just don't get it. And so after God says, I'll forgive you, he says, I know that's hard for you to believe. And that's because the way that I operate is so high above your simple little works-based human minutia and myopia. Perhaps the fulfillment of verse eight in its zenith, that is the way above all other ways that God's ways are higher than our ways is in fact Isaiah 53 that in order to redeem us he would crush his own son how, how different than human expectation could anything be than that and God's powerful word is always working again in context in the context of Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 about the power of God's word is the power of the word of the gospel. This is, this is the chapter where he began with, if you don't have money, you can buy it. And this is the chapter where he says, God's word accomplishes God's work. The word of the gospel saves people. It is the word of the gospel. It is the word of the Lord that accomplishes his work. It's not human means and human strength. And then it ends with perhaps the biggest blessing of all in saying in verses 12 and 13 that the reality of salvation will renew the world. He says, you'll go out in joy. 
You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you will break forth in singing. That was even referred to, I think, in our call to worship in Psalm 96 today. All the trees of the forest will clap their hands. And then, he, and then in verse 13, if you're a sensitive Bible reader who's been through the story, you know that he's talking about the curse. The thorns that infest the ground will be no more. This will be an everlasting sign. The near fulfillment in Isaiah is that verses 12 and 13 describe in poetic language the return from the Babylonian captivity. But verses 12 and 13 in the final fulfillment of Isaiah, I would propose, describe in actual, literal language what will happen in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every covenant has a sign the covenant with Noah, the rainbow, the covenant with Abraham, the circumcision. You see verse 13? This will be an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. What he's talking about there is the reversal of the curse and the renewal of the new heavens and the new earth. There is no more everlasting. There is no more universal sign than that, the new heavens and the new earth. So what stands out to me with that last verse is the sheer uh, reality of the gospel. Or if I could put it this way, the sheer objectivity of the gospel or the sheer inevitability of the gospel or, to speak very personally, the, the sheer fact that the gospel will do what it will do to the universe no matter what you do, no matter how you feel, no matter how you respond. That's what he's getting at here. The entire cosmos will be redone by God because that is the inevitable result of what the suffering servant did on that cross. And this is outside of you. And I just, if I could do one thing for you, I just wish that the next time you have a bad day or the next time you have a bad day year or the next time you feel like you're actually justified in saying I have had a bad life I wish I could get you to remember Isaiah 55 12 and 13 because no matter how you feel and no matter how the Chattering classes put you down, and no matter how it seems that everybody else gets everything and you don't get anything, God will accomplish His work in this universe. And if you are in Jesus, you will never, ever be left out of that good work that God is doing. Never. It includes the whole world. And it includes you. This is the invitation. This gospel is so great. This invitation is so persuasive. I go back to verse 2. When God asks why. Church, why are you spending your money on other things? And why are you spending your labor on other things? This is the best news in the world. It deserves our highest celebration and it deserves our wholehearted 
invitation to everyone, everywhere. Let's pray. Lord God, what a, what a great chapter. What a, what a wonderful invitation that you've given to us. What a God you are that you would speak to us in such a way. When we have merited your rejection and your refusal, what kind of God are you that you would just roll out Isaiah 55 to us and invite us to have everything and the cost being paid by your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus. What can we do but respond with wonder, love, and praise? What can we do but respond with thanksgiving? What can we do but renew our commitment that, that, that asking you to fill the sails of our lives, that we might go to the places you would have us to go and speak to the people you would have us to speak to of this wonderful word of invitation. We rejoice in how you've saved us, and we delight in this invitation to the banquet to take it to everyone everywhere for Jesus' sake. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.